You are listening to the Call to Action Podcast, where we aim to inspire, educate, and inform entrepreneurs and self-starters on tech and tips related to navigating this ever-changing world. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 39 of the Call to Action Podcast. I am your host, Shantae, and today we are having a fireside chat with an award-winning author of immersive fantasy fiction, and her name is C.L. Schneider. Before I bring our guest on to the show today, as always, I have an inspirational quote that I like to share. And here is the inspirational quote for episode 39 of the Call to Action podcast. Just don't give up trying to do what you really want to do. Where there is love and inspiration, I don't think you can go wrong. And that is by Ella Fitzgerald. If you missed episode 38 of the Call to Action podcast, as always, it is a must listen. My guest for that episode was the infamous Bambi Summers, who is an author and editor. Bambi is the author of nine romance novels, and she is also an editor and an active member of the writing community on Twitter. She is a very busy person and has a kind soul. In that episode, Bambi shares her story on how she started writing, as well as helpful information about having your ebooks on Kindle Unlimited. So make sure to go and check it out at ctamarketing.biz. And when you're there, click on podcast on the main menu to access that episode, as well as past episodes. But in the meantime, here's a clip for you to listen to from episode 38. I'm working on number 10. I'm doing, I'm going to do a rom-com. So this romantic comedy is, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that it will kind of blow everybody away. I'm hoping that it's really funny. It's made several of my friends laugh really hard so far. So oh, good. I've, I've, got, I've got like a real good feeling about this one coming out. Oh, good, good. So now you got to share what inspires you to do this. What inspired you to write, Bambi? This is a strange story. It was the Thanksgiving weekend of 2017, and I got an email from Simon and & Schuster. And um, I had been reading romance for a couple years. I really liked it. And the, e- the email said, would you like to enter a romance writing contest? And I thought, yeah, I think I would. You know, even though I never really thought about writing a book. And so um, that was Thanksgiving Again, you can hear the full episode on ctamarketing.biz. As mentioned in the intro, my guest for today's show is C.L. Schneider. C.L. Schneider is an award-winning author of immersive fantasy fiction. Born in a small Kansas town, she now resides in New York's scenic Hudson Valley with her husband and two sons. To learn more about her and the worlds she creates, visit clschneiderauthor.com where you can read reviews and excerpts, subscribe to her newsletter, and join her street team. An active part of the indie author online community, you can often find her on social media chatting about the daily ups and downs of a writer's life. So everyone, please join me in welcoming C.L. Schneider to the show today. Hi, Cindy. Welcome to the Call to Action podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, and I want to thank you so much for having me. 
thank you for being here with me. I'm excited to have you. I know we got a lot of good things to talk about today, so I'm really excited. Now, before we get into the topic for today or the topics, let's do our icebreaker because I do these on all of my shows, so you get to do one too. So for today's icebreaker, could you share with us or answer this question for me? If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? I would have to say France, uh, the French wine country specifically. My husband and I took a trip to Paris and London a few years ago, and we absolutely fell in love with Paris. It was just amazing. We never actually made it out of the city, but that is definitely high on my list of places to go in the future. But I would uh, love to, to live in the wine country. The landscape is beautiful. There's so much history and obviously wine. You can't go wrong with wine. <laughs> right? <laughs> to be surrounded that would, with that, that would be a dream. Oh, yeah. That'd be a nice uh, retirement can, place, huh? Yes. Not that I can uh, speak the language, but I would, I would learn. <laughs> oh, that would be easy. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> You'd have plenty of time in retirement. That would be great. That'd be great. That is true. Yes. <laughs> Figure it out. Yes. Cindy, I like the idea of living in France in wine country. That sounds really nice. So now let's talk about inspiration. So I want to learn more about your writing. And when did you know that you wanted to write? I have always wanted to write since I was old enough to string sentences together. I was a very early reader and I always had a book in my hand or more likely stacks of books in my hand. <laughs> I started out uh, writing poetry in elementary school, and that led to short stories and fan fiction. But when I was 16 is when I finally sat down and wrote my first full-length novel. My dad bought me a typewriter, and I set it up on an old card table in the living room, and I stayed up many, many nights working on this gigantic post-apocalyptic story. Uh, but by the time it was done, that was when I was really starting to dream of one day being a published author and holding my own book in my hands. Cool. Now, post-apocalyptic at the age of 16, what inspired that? Was it just things that you were reading before? I would say it was probably something like Mad Max, <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I, I, it's, it's funny. I was reading a lot of gothic mysteries at the time and science fiction, and I really didn't get into fantasy like I'm writing now until I was out of high school. I would say, you know, 18 or something when my brother, who was a huge fantasy nut, uh, gifted me a copy of The Mists of Avalon. And that was my first real fantasy book that I had ever read. And I absolutely loved it. I read it back to back, you know, cover, you know, cover to cover, mm -hmm. back to back twice in, you know, a matter of a few weeks. And that's, it was a hefty book. And I just, that was it. I was enchanted with fantasy from that moment on. That is awesome. So now since then, you've gone on and you've published nine books, right? Yes. It took a while. I took... Uh, many years to, you know, develop a career and, you know, um, marriage and kids, you know, the, the whole thing. I never stopped writing, but I stopped thinking about pursuing a publishing career or, you know, an author career uh, for quite a while. It was always in the back of my mind, but it wasn't until the kids, you know, were older and in school that I really devoted myself to 
making this happen. Cool. Okay, now, Cindy, tell us about, because you have a few trilogies out, you have like some dark epic fantasy trilogies and some urban fantasy. Tell us about your books. Like specifically, I know you have the Crown of Stones series. So start with that one. Yes. That is my uh, dark epic fantasy trilogy. It is the story of a man born with an addiction to magic. So it is an actual physical addiction where if he goes too long without casting, he becomes ill. He suffers all the withdrawal symptoms. But if he gives in to these cravings that he has, his magic is deadly to the other races. Whereas if he casts a spell, it will take energy from whatever is around him, whatever living thing is around him, whether it's plants, animals, people. So he can accidentally, very easily, kill someone when he's giving in to these incredible urges that he has. And his entire race is actually born with this addiction. So the trilogy is, is his, not only his journey to understand what is going on with his people, why they have been suffering with this, but also to heal the realms. And uh, there's, there's a lot going on. It's pretty, it's pretty complex trilogy, but the main focus is this man and his struggles and it's written first person. So it really pulls you deep into his addiction and his quest to find peace. Wow. So you really feel it reading that in the first person. Yes, absolutely. I have had people reach out to me and tell me, they, they've asked me, to, are, do you, are you, are you know, recovering from some sort of addiction yourself? How do you know? Because they thought that I had portrayed his addiction so realistically that it wasn't glorified. It wasn't, you know, the, it just, it just was. And they really identified with it. Wow. So did you do research on characters like to get that kind of story or to develop it that way? Or was it just something that just you just thought about it and was like, okay, I can make this work? Well, when I first created the character, the story developed from him. He was, he was the story for me. I always wanted a character who was going to embody some of the traits of of characters that I loved growing up. I wanted him to be, you know, a little bit of a cowboy. I wanted him to be the hero, but also um, not afraid to to do bad things for the right reason. Not. I wanted him to be very flawed and to have trouble being, he, he's not the white knight. He doesn't want to be seen that way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He, he wants, he doesn't want to be a hero. He doesn't see himself that way at all. So I wanted him to be very complex and very driven and torn and tortured so I wanted his greatest strength to also be his greatest weakness, which is his magic. I did do some research, yes, on character development and emotional characters, and but I always wanted him to be the classic antihero. Okay, so from the that dark epic fantasy trilogy, you went and you did an urban fantasy mystery series, which is Nightfire. Yes. So tell yes. us a little bit about Nightfire. Nightfire is also dark. Uh, it's very action-packed, but it's also a lot of fun. Uh, it is based on the fact that all the creatures from our myths and legends actually exist, but on parallel worlds. And there are rips between our world and theirs. And they come through, and there's sightings, and you know they're, they're wreaking all sorts of havoc here. So the things that we've seen, the things that we have fairy tales about, things that are in our myths and legends have actually been here. So the things that go bump in the night are real, but 
we've been convinced that they're nothing but stories, but they actually are creatures that live on these other worlds. And the main character, Dahlia, is a half-dragon shapeshifter from Parallel World ruled by dragons. Sounds super and cool. she has come here. That sounds really cool. <laughs> she, she tries to protect humanity from all of these creatures to solve the crimes that you know they're committing while covering them up at the same time. It's, it's basically very episodic in the fact that there's a monster of the week, a murder mystery of the week for each book to solve. And it goes, it, it deepened, you know, it goes into the forensics where she's, you know, solving the mystery and the clues and chasing after the, the creature responsible. But there is also an underlying global threat that is developing throughout the series. So it was, it came from my love of shows like Supernatural and X-Files and, and things like that. I wanted it to have that kind of feel. It sounds really cool. And things like that is what you would see like in a movie, like what you just described in your book. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would make a great Netflix series. So. I think so too. I'd watch it. I think so too. She's She is a lot of fun to write. And she's also a flawed hero. Uh, I really much more enjoy that than say, you know, like I said, the White Knight or the Superman kind of. I like my characters to, you know, be a little torn up and have a have a past that and troubles that they're dealing with. Yeah, that's cool. So now your books, do you have these available in audio format or is it just in ebook or print? The Nightfire series, the first three books are out on audio now. And the fourth one my narrator is working on at the moment. I'm sure once the fifth book comes out, she will go right into that as well. And she has done a phenomenal job. She really has embodied the characters so much that at this point now when I'm writing them, I hear her voice in my head. That is so cool. she's 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 fantastic. That's you know what? To me, that makes a good audiobook. When you have a really good narrator, it brings yes. it to life. Yes, I agree completely. And the first book in my Crown of Stones trilogy is on audio, but I am having it re-recorded with a new narrator. I had to part ways with the person who did the first book and he never did the rest of the trilogy. So I have a brand new narrator who my Nightfire narrator actually introduced me to. And he is phenomenal. He's a wonderful actor from California and he has such a passion for the project. So he is almost done recording the first Crown of Stones books, and then he's going to go straight into the rest of the trilogy. That sounds cool. I'm going to check those out. I like audiobooks, so <laughs> I'm going to have Wonderful. To I would love to hear what you think. Oh, yes, it's, definitely. It's, series is a lot of fun. There's She has... You know, she has a, um, a side, what she calls him, her sidekick, and she's develops her little, you know, team, and she's hunting the monsters, and it's a lot of fun. I'm going to, I've enjoyed writing this so much, and I was a little concerned going from this dark, epic trilogy where I am so deep into the mind of, of a male character, and now I'm, then I was switching to urban fantasy into the mind of a female character, and at first I was like, oh, can I do this? <laughs> I have been writing can. Ian Troy in the Crown of Stones for so many years, but it uh, it didn't take long to really get into her head, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. And now I'm working on the fifth and final book in that series, so it's a little bittersweet because it's coming to an end. Yeah, but it's been a wild ride. So. 
So, Cindy, did you take the traditional route with your publishing or did you self-publish your books? I have self-published all of my books. When I first wrote Magic Price, the first book in the Crown of Stones trilogy, I had planned on going the traditional route. I sent out my query letters and I'd say for about eight months, I suppose. And I had a few bites, but no one, no one took it. And then I had one particular agent who took a lot of interest and he, init- he eventually passed on it, but he sent me a letter with uh, some nice advice. And at that point, I, it kind of lit a fire under me. I could have just said, oh, another rejection and uh, let it get to me, but it did just the opposite. He didn't give me any real technical advice, but the things he said really, it, like I said, it lit a fire. And I started picking up every book I could find on writing fantasy. And I really spent about six, seven months, I suppose, diving into any book I could find on writing. And then I rewrote the entire thing, probably two or three times. Wow. <laughs> and at that point, I had lost you know, a year or more, and I couldn't wait any longer. I had reached the point where it would be so easy to just say, you know, oh, I'm not going to do this, or it's not going to work out, or you know, keep trying to send out those query letters, and then more time would go by. And I started getting where I was more afraid that I would never do it then I, you know, the fear of not doing it was greater than the fear of taking that leap. So I said, I heard about self-publishing. I heard about Create Space, and it just seemed like the best of both worlds. I could get it now. I could have my dream come true and hold that book in my hand and be in charge. You know, I could take care of everything myself, and it would be on my, on my time. And so I made the choice and I self-published and never looked back. And it was a wonderful decision for me. I think that's great. And, you know, I've talked with quite a few authors that did take that route. They they did it for the same mm-hmm. reason, um, because they do get that creative freedom. And everyone had their own different reasons for doing it. But I think mm-hmm. the number one thing is the fact that you are in control. So you're not, yes. you're not winning. Yes, and I never, yes. Mm-hmm. I never considered myself a control freak until now, <laughs> until I self-published. But the the longer it went on, the the idea of ever you know going the, tradi- the traditional way uh, it lost interest. I, I the longer I, the more books I published myself, the less I was interested in something like that because I do I have complete control. You know, it's my cover, my content, my price. You know, I um, I'm in charge of it, and it's. Uh, it's nice. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And you have some really cool covers. Now, do you design them yourself or do you hire a designer to do those for you? And then also your editing, like how do you get that done too? I do not do my own covers. Uh, I am definitely not an artist. I do work very closely though with the artists that I hire and I've been very lucky to work with some very talented people. I give them... My ideas, I which either they might be a specific scene from the book or they might be a compilation of scenes, but I generally have a very vivid idea of what I want on the cover. And we work closely together and till we can, you know, bring till they bring it to life. And they they've done an amazing job. I'm I'm feel blessed with the people I've worked with. As far as editing goes, I do not do my own. I definitely that's one thing I would say for most self-published authors or all self-published authors, you need an editor. It's, I know a lot of people say, uh, I'm just starting out. I can't afford it. And I've been there. I know that. 
when I first did The Crown of Stones, I hired a developmental editor. But when it came time to do the copy edit and the line edit, I didn't have the money. It was my first book and I just didn't have it. So I get that. I do. But you definitely need to hire. So, Cindy, for people like myself who has not heard of a developmental editor, tell us what is it that they do? What did, what did they do for you in, in your case? Well, developmental editing is more in-depth, and it's, it's kind of like it, like it, like it sounds. It it's, helps you develop the story. Uh, it goes into plot and characterization, your style, pacing, the flow of the story, the overall structure. Uh, A developmental editor will also look at industry standards and what you're writing and how it may or may not appeal to, you know, to your audience. It's very helpful when you're doing a lot of world building or something very complex because they can really look at the big picture versus, you know, grammar, punctuation, things like that. That, that's, it's, it really helps you mold what you have. Okay, so they kind of help you, like you're talking about world building. So the character development, like setting the scene so the reader can really visualize what you're saying with as much detail as possible. And that's what their yes, role is? When, okay. When you're, looking, when you're looking at a regular, at a copy editor, that's more technical. It's grammar, punctuation, word choice, sentence structure, things like that. But the developmental editor is going to go deep into the story itself, uh, the flow of the plot, uh, the motivations of your characters, things like that. Okay. So I could see the developmental characters being used more for books like what you did, like with the urban fantasy, the dark fantasy, things like that. And then for maybe char- or books where there's not real characters, for, per se, like like an instructional manual or things like that, or a self-help book, you would actually have like a, a standard editor go and, and do it that way, right? Yes. Okay. I, I don't believe a developmental editor is always needed. I, I do think the more complex the story is, the more you would want to lean towards that direction. But once you have the developmental editing done and you make the changes, you know, you have your discussion with the editor and you decide what you're going to change and what you're not. I mean, you still need to have that copy editing, you know, before you publish. Okay. So the process, Definitely. okay. The process would be you have your developmental editor, take a look at everything, get that worked out. And then you would incorporate those edits as, as the author, then you would send, send it to like a regular editor where they would do the technical changes, punctuation yeah, and, and, and grammar. And a lot of editors may do, they may do it all. You may be able to hire one person to do all of it. Okay. Okay. It really, it really depends on who you hire. Okay. Okay. But the developmental edit should come, you know, you, you're going to want to obviously, you know, yourself make sure it's as free of mistakes as you can before you send it to them, obviously. But that's going to be want to be the first one of the first things you do with it before you send it to your copy editor, because you want to have the story in place before they're, they're picking apart the grammar and punctuation. You want to have the actual story the way it needs to be. And the developmental editor can help you with that. That makes sense. It was, it was a really wonderful experience. I used one for all three books in the Crown of Stones trilogy, and I really learned so much. It was, it was great. And I actually used him as well for the first book in my urban fantasy series. But at that point, I had, I had learned a lot, and we both kind of felt that it wasn't really needed for the rest of the series. But I, I, it might be something I do, you know, when I start, when I start another, if I start another really in-depth 
series where I'm doing a lot of world building, I might go back for the first book just to be sure that I'm on the right track. Cool. That's really, really good information. I love doing these shows because I learn something every time I have a guest on the show. (laughs) I learn some really cool stuff. (laughs) So I'm sure if I'm learning, the listeners are as well. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. So Cindy, for any upcoming or aspiring authors, what advice would you give to them? Well, I would say don't do what I did. <laughs> and what was when that? I published <laughs> when I published my first book, I went into it simply to make my dream come true, which I did and it was incredible. I cried when I held my first book in my hands. It was a lifelong, you know, dream and it 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 was there to come true. It was amazing. But I didn't approach it from a business standpoint at all. And the book started selling. I was thinking, okay, friends and family, you know, would buy it and that would be about it. And um, I would do this more for me than anything else. And then, the, you know, it, like I said, it started selling. People started reaching out to me that I didn't know. I'm like, wait a minute, strangers are buying my book? What happened? <laughs> yeah, it, was hitting, it was hitting the hot new release charts. It was, I, I, was, I was stunned. And at this point, I didn't even have a website. Whoa. I barely had a social media presence. I had no brand. I had, I had nothing. So I spent a lot of time the first two years after I published that book, uh, just you know trying to make connections. To I got my website going. I started you know building up my brand and my reach and a newsletter, and it was it was a lot of pressure and a lot of work. Um, it was of course a good problem to have. I was going to say that sounds like a good yeah, thing for me. I was, yes. <laughs> It's, 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 I don't mean to complain about it, but it was very stressful at the time because I'm trying to write, you know, the second and the third book. And I just, I felt like I needed, I, like I was coming into the, I was coming into the middle of the movie, you know what I mean? And I had no backstory for what was, what I was supposed to do and being, you know, like a certified introvert. So it was, I had to really throw myself out there and start making connections and, in the long run, of course, it, it worked out very well, and I met some wonderful people, and I threw myself out there. I started doing in-person events and signings and Comic-Cons, and it all worked out. But if you want to save yourself a little stress, <laughs> get that website going, uh, get your social media presence going before you get anywhere near publishing. It definitely helps. Very good advice. Yeah. I mean, your situation sounds really cool to be able to publish your book and then you get, you know, people contacting you telling you how much they love it. But I can only imagine, I guess, yeah, kind of going back and then like, oh my gosh, now people are contacting me. I don't have my website up, you know? So yeah. Yeah. I had, I had nothing, you know, I, I barely had any followers on anything. You know, I, I had Facebook to connect with friends and family. I, I had didn't have an author page. It was just, it was a little nutty. It really was. So I was extremely busy <laughs> those first couple of years. That's cool. So now, okay, so with your nine books that you've published, um, I know there's some marketing that you had to have done with that. So share with us the ways that you marketed your books and what did you learn from those different ways as well? Well, I pretty much will do just about anything that will get my books in front of new eyes. I do uh, a lot of sales. I will do the free promotions through Amazon or the 99-cent Kindle deals, and I will sign up for paid advertising and try to stack them so they kind of build off of each other. 
I have a very nice size um, subscriber list to my newsletter, which took a while to build up. But a lot of them came from the Comic-Cons and the in-person events I was doing. I would leave out a sign-up sheet and people would sign up. And sometimes I would do like a contest. I would draw a name from everyone who signed up for like an Amazon gift card or something. Just a little incentive. But you really build a nice relationship with the people that you meet in person at these events. And they really become, you know, the lifelong subscribers. These are the people that stick with you and they come back year after year and whatnot. So my newsletter is, is, is huge for me. Uh, I really feel like I get a lot of return off of that. I also will enter uh, book awards and competitions. It was not something that I did uh, in the beginning because I was terrified of having <laughs> my work judged. <laughs> yeah. But I got over that and it because it does give you new opportunities uh, to, again, put it in front of fresh eyes. I also do things like I work, I use Story Origin, which is a wonderful website that allows you to do newsletter swaps and group promotions with other authors. Uh, there's also another company, Fiction Atlas, which I use, which you can do uh, di different giveaways and builders to build up your audience at places like BookBub or one of your social media sites, or you can get new readers. Anything I can do to just be out there. Uh, interviews like this. Yeah. It's, 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 you got to get a little creative and however you're going to get out there, but because it, what is it, seven times? Is that, is that what they say? That someone needs to see the, your cover? Sometimes it takes seven times before they actually click on it. Oh, I didn't know that. I, be wow. I believe that's what I read once, that it was seven times. And that's, that's a not lot everyone, of impressions. obviously. Some, yeah, you're going to have to have Right, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's not everyone. Some people may see it and be like, wow, I love that. I'm buying it from the cover alone or whatever. But um, it, I have read that I believe it's like some, some people, it takes them up to seven times of seeing a product before they will go and buy it. Mm -hmm. And obviously one, I think one of my biggest selling strategies is the covers. I am very strong believer in having, uh, putting money into your covers and having something that's going to catch attention. And I know for a fact that especially when I first put out, um, my first book, I, I sold many just on the cover alone because that's people would say, I, I love it. I'm just going to, I'm going right for it. So I think that that's one of your biggest marketing tools is your cover. That's very good advice. Really, because that's your first impression. It is. And yeah. You and you're can, competing you with the a lot of books. Yeah, yes. I was going to say, like, if, especially if you're having your books on Amazon or any other, you know, um, Absolutely. crowd type publishing place like that. But yeah, you're against a lot of people. So it has to stand yes. out. Yeah. And that's, that's your first impression. And you can write the best book ever, but if your cover doesn't catch someone's eye, it's just going to sit there. It doesn't matter what's inside. I mean, it's terrible, but yes, people are going to judge your book by your cover. It's just, it's just what happens. Uh, Isn't that and funny? We were told never to do that. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. If you're going to invest, I mean, if you're going to do it, you need to, and you, it's one thing if you just, again, you're doing it as your dream. And then and you're content with keeping it that way. But if you actually want people to buy your book and you actually want to make some sort of a career out of it, then you have to put the money into the editing and the cover and you have to put the time in. Because going into it saying, I'm just going to put my book up there and sit back and wait for it to wait for the readers to pour in. That's not going to happen. That's that's you have to be proactive and you have to go after it. 
And the cover is one of the main ways you can do that by investing the money into something that's going to make them stop scrolling. Now, also, you all, I've seen book trailers on as well. Like when I'm on social, Mm -hmm. I see that you guys do book trailers or have book trailers for your books and things like that, too. Yes. So just something I want to throw out there just so the listeners know that, yeah, your book cover and then also having those book trailers. I think those are effective because I've seen some really cool ones. And oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And they're definitely attention grabbers. It's different than just looking at a static image, especially when you're scrolling through on social, just because there's so much content being thrown at you all the time. Yes. But to see something yes. that's really cool that stands out, like with those book trailers, I think that's really, really important to have those. Yes. Too. And I, I have an actual, I have a pinned tweet on my Twitter page right now that is more of a promotional video for um, all of my work. And I, I definitely believe you need to have that out there because it gives it gives people that it's it is it's flashy and it's it's eye catching and it gives them an idea of what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. Now I got to go check that out. So thank you for telling me, <laughs> so I can go in and like it and retweet it if I haven't already done so. Ooh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but I will definitely do that if I haven't done it. I will definitely go ahead and do that too. Thank you. Awesome. So Cindy, um, thank you for sharing all this wonderful, wonderful information. Um, so now I know people are going to want to know where they can find your books and buy your books and also contact you. So share with us your contact information, please. Well, I would love it if you visit my website, which is clschneiderauthor.com. There's lots of information on there, including my book trailers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's always, you know, promotions and giveaways and things on my event page. And you can keep an eye on that as to where I might be once we start getting back to in-person events and subscribe to my newsletter. And I would love to have you all on my street team. So check out my website and you can find all of that information there. My books are all available on Amazon. Most of them are available with Kindle Unlimited. So it gives you a good chance to hop into the series and free with Kindle Unlimited. So there you go. Cool. Awesome. Also, Cindy, I'm going to have all of your links and links to your books along with this podcast. Yes, you're welcome on the website on ctamarketing.biz. So they can find you on Amazon. They can find you on on my website. So I'm going to make sure they can find you as well. That's wonderful because I love chatting with readers. I would love to hear what they think about the books. And I have a few people that will, you know, they buy each book when it comes out of mine and then they'll, they'll, they'll message me. I'm on this page and oh my God, I can't believe you did this. Or <laughs> I love that. So I, I definitely like being in touch with my readers. So please reach out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Cindy, this has been a pleasure. And I just want to say thank you so much for being a guest on the Call to Action podcast. Well, you're welcome. And I really appreciate you having me. Yes, it was again, wonderful. Thank it was you. Fun. It was fun, fun for me too. Fun for me too. Now, before we wrap up the show, I do want to mention two of my favorite podcasters out there. And one is York Campbell, and he is a creator of the Poetic Earthlings podcast. It's a really cool science fiction podcast. You can tell I like science fiction, so I'm kind of giving myself away here. But between having you and I've had some other authors as well that were into science fiction, but just want to just mention my favorites here. Um, and then also I want to mention, uh, if you like poetry, to check out Word Chef Baker. He does really cool poetry on his podcast as well. And as I mentioned in the previous episode, I just redesigned the site. So make sure to go over and check out the new ctamarketing.biz. And I redesigned it. I have some cool stuff on there. I have merch, which I'll be adding new designs soon. But you can get coffee mugs, t-shirts, mouse pads, 
anything you can have for your office, but it helps to support the podcast and the blog and website. And then also you can purchase the audiobook there and also listen to podcasts and purchase books from the authors. Every author that I interview, I have links to their books on the site. So just make sure you support them um, because this is, it's a lot of work, I'm sure, for the authors. What I'm hearing, it's work. It's a lot of work, but they enjoy doing it, but they should be rewarded as well. So make sure that you do that. And then review, write them reviews because that's important as well. So everyone, this concludes episode 39 of the Call to Action podcast. And to all of the entrepreneurs and self-starters and authors and small business owners, remember the code. The journey begins when you take the first step. Courage, optimism, determination, and enthusiasm are the tools that will help you along the way. Until next time. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Call to Action podcast. Make sure to visit me at ctamarketing.biz. There you can find articles for entrepreneurs and self-starters on tech and tips related to navigating this ever-changing world. Until next time.